able to feed yourself without the observation of someone around you just really changes things. You're listening to Burnt Toast. I'm Virginia Soulsmith. Burnt Toast is off for the holidays this week, but we have an awesome rerun episode for you. This one got a bit lost in the holiday shuffle last year, so I decided to re-release it, both because it is now extra pertinent to my own interests, and because I think it is such a valuable conversation for anyone who is co-parenting with another person in really any capacity, but especially if that capacity is divorce. Our guest today is none other than the brilliant Liz Lenz. Liz has been called a real sweetheart by President Joe Biden, and she is the author of the fantastic Substack newsletter, Men Yell at Me. She's also written two books, Godland, a story of faith, loss, and renewal in middle America, and Belabored, a vindication of the rights of pregnant women. Liz also hosts the brand new podcast, This American Ex-Wife, and her next book, also called This American Ex-Wife, comes out in February 2024. And she'll be back on the pod then to chat about it because Liz is also one of my personal divorce gurus and a dear friend. But today, your mission is to enjoy this fantastic conversation about how diet culture shows up in divorce and co-parenting. And then take yourself right out to subscribe to Liz's new podcast and pre-order her new book, which of course you can do through the Burnt Toast Bookshop hosted by Split Rock Books. We've got those links in your episode description. And remember, if you also buy Fat Talk through them, you can take 10% off this order. So here's Liz. So Liz, you have written so brilliantly about divorce. You are the smartest person I know about divorce. I text you whenever I want to know about divorce. (laughs) Um, Which Which isn't that often for her husband who's listening. (laughs) Sometimes it's, you know, just like general concern for people. We'll leave it at that. Yes. You are extremely knowledgeable about this topic. And your next book, The American Ex-Wife, is about divorce. So you are here as my divorce expert. And I'm curious, you know, do you see diet culture playing a role in American divorces? What are you seeing? Absolutely. There's something I think initially with divorce that hits on diet culture is the revenge body. Anybody who's gotten divorced will tell you, you know, about like the stress and the weight loss associated with it or not. Sometimes it's weight gain, but like there is that expectation of having that post breakup revenge body. Like I've seen TikToks that are kind of making jokes like, you know, you want to sit on the couch and relax, but you remember you have to be the hot one in the breakup. Wow. I never thought about that. Of course. And then, you know, like the getting back out their body. And I know for a lot of men, divorce involves some free time, which, you know, that time (laughs) used to be managed by someone and now they don't know what to do. And so, you know, there is like an aspect to the culture of like the divorce dad in the gym. I follow quite a few, you know, like again, TikTok accounts that uh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. like divorce influencers, which divorce are out there. influencers. So the divorce dad going to the gym, you know, the mom trying to get hot, get back out there. It hit me so personally when I got divorced because I was so stressed out. And my response to stress is to not eat. And I dropped a lot. I lost a lot of weight and it was not healthy. And I remember people being like oh you look so good and at me being like 
I'm so stressed out. I'm not sleeping or eating. Right. Like, you should be asking me, like, if, if I'm could. okay. Yeah. And I would get so angry about it, too, because then also people, as you know, people treat you different. All That's of a sudden, the men who would see me differently, you know, because it was very unhealthy, the amount of weight I lost. Yeah. And I'm thinking, too, it sounds like a kind of a parallel with postpartum get your body back pressure. Yes. So for a lot of women, you'll have like just done that in recent years. And now you have to do the revenge body. And yes, why are we not allowed to just let our bodies be during times of stress and trauma? Right, right. And I think, too, it's so hard when you layer on that the idea that exists in the divorce world that you now have to find someone else, right? Which I hate. You know, I hate that. I hate that whole idea. That's like what most divorce books are. It's like, okay, well, you did it. Now, how do you find love again? It's (sighs) like... And so that it comes with that added pressure of like, you know, being good looking and which then translates to right. you know thinness. diet culture yep. yes thinness God, and muscles yeah. and I'm just remembering a piece of yours where you were like actually all women want is to live alone in the woods with our parents <laughs> like no we don't want to get remarried we don't want that that's not the goal but that that is immediately the expectation like why would you want to get right back into the thing you just got out of <laughs> well I think there's that pressure of you know the singleness right there's that stigma of singleness but you're right like most women post-divorce don't remarry it's the men who remarry you know so it's like mm-hmm. somewhere around 70% of women initiate divorces and I think it's like less than 40% oh gosh I need to fact check myself on that But it is a lower number who Mm -hmm. then get remarried. It's an overwhelming number of men who then try to remarry because, like, you know, like, I don't know how to find mustard in the, (laughs) you know, in the grocery store without a woman. But, no, you're right. I mean, like, every married woman I know wants to just live alone in the woods (laughs) with a wolf, so... (laughs) And part of that freedom would be not needing to be hot while you do it, like just being able to be. Yes, not being a hot witch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just want to be a witch. Just, I don't, yeah, like, why do we have to have, like, you know, weird witch beauty standards? <laughs> There's this great moment I think about a lot in the, um, in the book Don Quixote where Don Quixote is traveling along and he meets all these like shepherds and they're like there's this one bitch she's awful she broke all of our hearts she's so beautiful we hate her um she's evil and then and they're talking about her and she just like walks up to them and goes I'm not evil I don't like any of you. Stop talking to me. I didn't try to seduce you. I just existed and you thought I was in love with you. And then she's basically like, I don't want to be in your narrative. And then she goes back into the woods and she never shows up in the book ever again. She is our queen. Yeah, I think about her all the time. I mean, that's icon behavior for sure. So, yeah, what else besides revenge body comes up when you think about divorce and diet culture? So then there's that whole aspect that I loved when you were writing about that of then divesting yourself of the body ideas that come from the relationship. I think there's so many ways where that happens, where, you know, you might have married a person 
looking a very specific way. But as we all know, like time and life and children takes a toll. And then the other person is like, well, you don't look how you used to. And you're like, well, I never will. That's life. That's time passing. And marriage is so physical. I mean, it is this just like it's a bodily connection, right? And so having divorce enables you, I think, in so many ways, especially if you're in a bad a bad marriage. I mean, this is obviously people can have good marriages. Mm-hmm. My bias is though, like <laughs> that I think marriage is inherently unequal and yeah. bad. And like you can have, you know, good relationships within a bad system, but it's still a bad system. So I'm going to get yeah. that out there. But so when then you do divorce, like part of that, like rebuilding of identity and rebuilding of sense of self comes with, you know, like, well, who am I now? Like, what is my body now? And now I don't have to manage that other person's, you know, toxic body diet stuff. I don't have Mm -hmm. to manage the expectations of another person on my body and on my sense of self. And I don't have to have somebody judging what I'm eating, you know, and then you can also like make your own food. That was something that blew my mind. I didn't expect was just like, I am not cooking for this other person who wants boneless, skinless chicken breast every single fucking night. Oh, God. I, oh. Oh, God. The saddest of proteins, truly. <laughs> right. Truly the saddest protein. And he would have lived on boneless, skinless chicken breast and microwaved frozen vegetables. Wow. And, you know, and I'm like, let's roast a chicken from Ina Garden. Like, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. you know, like, let's make vegan stew, you know, and none of that would fly. So, yeah, being able to feed yourself without the observation of someone around you just really changes things. And since we have 50-50 custody, and it's always different with children around, but, like, I get to sit and be like, no, what is it that I actually want to eat? And when do I want to eat? And how do I want to eat? Like, it just it makes me so much more thoughtful and grateful about like what I'm consuming in my body. One woman I interviewed described it as a food rumspringa. Yes. Because she was free from his expectation. For her, it was like embracing stuff like Annie's, like mac and cheese. Like I don't have to cook. I can just like enjoy eating a box of mac and cheese for dinner and like watching Gilmore Girls and being so happy and at peace. What was your favorite thing you ate when you realized like this liberation, this piece of it? I got for a while just like really into cooking complicated recipes from mm-hmm. the New York Times. That kind of stopped. I like I, I did the opposite of everybody like in 2020 in the shutdown year. Everybody got like into cooking and I was like done. Um, <laughs> I have <laughs> like, been there. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. I will now be ordering food exclusively. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. So one, it was eating out. Because Mm. my ex does not like to go out to eat and is very stressful around like if you go out to eat and then what you order, Mm -hmm. you know, should you get a glass of wine or God forbid order dessert, you know, that's like so extra and why are you doing that? So it's just like going out to eat by myself and ordering whatever I wanted and dessert was like, 
game changer. I love it. Yes. And then I'd make complicated recipes, you know, just like just for myself because I'm like, oh, he didn't like curry. So now I will make Now you can have all the curry. Revenge curry seems like way better than revenge body. I'm just going to put that out there. Yes. Yes. And and I think like, yes, like all bodies handle stress in different ways and divorce is stressful even if it's a good change. And like that expectation that you then get thinner because of stress Mm -hmm. is like not everybody's experience. So something that came up in my conversations with the women I interviewed for this story was how little faith they had that a judge or the legal system would do anything to intervene when they were seeing their ex continue to parent in like very controlling ways around food, you know, like the the dad who like, if you didn't finish dinner, you got it served for breakfast the next morning. And so the kid was showing up at school hangry and, you know, having meltdowns because he hadn't eaten two meals. And that seems so clearly problematic to me. But I guess I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why family court systems aren't set up to deal with this. Yeah, family court systems aren't set up to deal with a lot of different types of abuse. Going to my lawyer, who was great and wonderful, you know, she basically was just like, family court operates like an equation, basically. You punch in the numbers, you just assume everything's equal, and there really isn't room for understanding some of those like nuances and the different ways of talking about like abuse. I mean, it's abuse. I think mm-hmm. if a parent is controlling their food access, like that is abusive mm-hmm. behavior. And yeah, you have to navigate it very, very, very delicately because I think especially for women, you're getting divorced. So already there's a little bit of a stigma on you, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're a little shrewish. I noticed people treated me differently too, like around their husbands. I was like, listen, I don't want Mm -hmm. your nasty husband. I don't even want my nasty husband. (laughs) Like I don't want anybody's husband. So I was like, oh, weird, interesting. You know, it's a weird energy. So there is a little bit of weird energy my lawyer was just like really upfront. She's like, listen, like if you go before a judge in Iowa or a mediator, we got everything mediated. But she's like a mediator in Iowa. Most of them are middle-aged white men. They are exactly, they look exactly like your husband, right? Like, and you Mm. go in and you start making all these claims. Well, like these these could be things that they do to their children. Yeah, like this could be them too. So like, you could turn them against you. So it's like if you go in there being like the quote unquote, you know, shrill divorce lady who only nitpicks and says horrible things about her husband, which I got actually I divorced women when I was getting divorced told me not to be. They're like, don't be the negative divorce lady. But like, I'm getting divorced for all these reasons. <laughs> right. Some like, of which are negative. Right. <laughs> and I think the problem is, is that like, we don't talk honestly about our relationships. So nobody knows what is actually supposed to be good in a marriage because yeah, we spend yeah. so much time hiding some of these things. You know, like I would tell people like oh we're not gonna go out to eat or like how won't you just come over to our house just to like manage mm-hmm. so we wouldn't have to get into a fight later if I ordered right. a glass about of wine right but I'm not being honest with my friends about it. I'm like no we can't go to a restaurant because 
you know, jerk face over there won't let me order wine. Right, right. So anyway, yes, you are coming into like a system that is very much thinks it's objective. But as we all know, you know, objectivity favors, mm-hmm. quote unquote, favors the the white man and favors the system. And so it really is a balancing act. I'll just tell a little story that's about like religion where, you know, my ex was like saying that like I was awful because I wanted to go to a liberal Lutheran church. And now I go to no church, which is even worse. Yeah. And, you know, and he was telling the mediator she will not raise our children with the values that she agreed to when we entered the marriage contract. So it is a breach of contract. And my lawyer is like, you can't react. She's like, you can't nod. Even if he's being unreasonable, you just have to be calm and placid so that you look like you know, the reasonable one here. Right, right. You know, so you're and not like, the angry divorce lady. Right. Again, you're managing so much just to get out of this situation and letting so many things go. Right. And, you know, I know women who access did awful things. And even then the courts were just like, well, it's a he said, she said kind of a situation. Oh my God. So you're just doing what you can to get out with the skin Ugh. of your teeth. Another thing I heard about was... Worrying about how their bodies would be perceived by lawyers and judges, you know, like if you're fat, like now that's going to be an added strike against you coming into that, especially if you have a thin ex. Yes. Oh, yes. The clothes you wear. I had to buy a whole new outfit for mediation. I mean, I'm a writer. I don't have a lot of like business clothes. My lawyer gave me suggestions. She's like, button up, nothing low cut. Like you can't, you know, which works for me because I have no boobs but god forbid you actually have like boobs and then they're like don't dress slutty and you're like well they're there like they're there. I have I a body can right. almost never get them to go away <laughs> right like where shall I put them that would make you feel more comfortable that whole like courtroom appearance which of course again is judged harder for women like men Mm -hmm. just have a uniform they can pop into or pop out of like you know I can just like buy a dress shirt like I have to like yeah it has to be an outfit and of course it's expensive yeah to do this and you're already like I don't have any money anyway so oh my god that's such a big aspect I think not just of divorce but like of our court and legal system the body policing Yeah. yeah we'll judge you immediately based on appearance. Yeah, and how we judge mothers in general, right? The fitness of motherhood is often tied to bodies and presentation of bodies in so many ways. Right, right. Yes. And then if you and your ex have very different types of bodies, right, then people are thinking, well, like, oh, yeah, of course they're getting divorced because she really Mm -hmm. let herself go. And then you get into (laughs) (laughs) co-parenting, which is fun. This is like maybe a very naive question, but how much advice do you get on how to co-parent and especially co-parent around food? So every state does it a little differently. Iowa, God bless, is a no-fault divorce state. And so it's really hard to upset the balance of that. Like it's going to be 50-50 no matter what, unless you get 
your former partner like on video doing something horrific right Mm -hmm. like it would be very 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 hard so we had to take mandatory divorce parenting classes and I'm sure it's different in every state but what that involved was going to this nonprofit called Kids First Law Center here in Iowa they're really great they do amazing work you know help represent children and low cost or free So you got to sign up for your time. You got to go sit in a conference room with a bunch of other divorced parents. And then you watch a video that's like basically about like how not to put your kids in the middle of like fights. It shows this like, first of all, it's kind of shamey because the beginning of the video, at least the one I watched, was like just kids like being like, this is awful. My parents are ruining my Oh, God. Like, you're already not worrying about that. Right. And so there's, Ah. like, I just remember a child literally drawing a broken home. And I'm, like, you know, already I feel like the worst person in the world. And, of course, this video, like, seems like it was probably made in, like, you know, 1991. When when our culture was, like, look at all these free divorce ladies. Let's make a whole bunch of movies about how they're miserable and they want to marry the small town handyman. Yep, yep. There are so many. Yeah. So it guilt trips you to start off. And then it shows these different scenarios of, like, couples fighting. So, like, in there's one where, like, the harried you know, divorced mom comes in from her late work shift and the kids are just, you know, watching television and like, we're so hungry, mom. And she's like, well, we don't have food because your father's late with the, you know, the child support check, you know, and then it's like, don't do this. You know, and you're like, <laughs> cool. okay, like, <laughs> oh, damn. Now what am I supposed to tell my children? You know, like, And it's just like, oh, all right. And then, you know, and then there's like another one where it was like a dad's like dropping his son off back at the, you know, sad mom's divorce apartment. And he's like, oh, son, I would really love to take you to the big game this Saturday, but it's your mom's day and she won't let me take you, you know, and then it's like, don't do this. I mean... Agreed. That seems not helpful as a comment to <laughs> right. say to your child. But it's right. like not giving you a lot to work with. Like, what do you do instead would be right. helpful. And it does, it does like show you like ways then like what you like how, how you can say it or like, you know, talk to it's but it's like really basic. It's like talk to the other adult. Don't talk to the children. Don't send messages through the children. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time being like, God, this is so basic. But then going through divorce and then having to constantly remind my ex, like, yeah. hey, you need to just text me right. instead of like telling the kid or, you know, whatever. Well, it's like what the video is assuming is that you can still communicate with this other adult. Yes. And which... that was something I had to go to therapy to talk about. Yeah. You know, there are so many times when, like, um, my ex, I'll say something to his face. He will not respond. I'll send an email. He won't respond. Right, right. You know, you can't force two people to be like grownups if one of them isn't being like a grownup. That was a lot of my summer was trying to handle some of these diet culture things that were being taught to my daughter. Mm -hmm. Our daughter, who is 11, going through puberty and is in 
swimming. And so mm-hmm. at her dad's house, they were restricting access to food and snacks, I think out of concern for her weight, which, you know, already lots yeah. of different layers of problems yes. there. Yes. And so her response was to start hoarding snacks and yep. hiding them. And this is immediately terrifying to me because this is the age when girls develop eating disorders out of everything that I want for my children. I want them to love themselves, right? And to not think that there's something wrong with themselves. And so, you know, that was something where, you know, it was like, so I'm like, okay, how do I send this email, which I know will get read, but Mm -hmm. I know will not be responded to. But like, Mm -hmm. how do you then, but you can't be combative, Right. right? And you can't betray the confidence of the child, right? right? And so, you know, a lot of the things she's told me have been in confidence. And so how I approach it, like I had had like multiple therapy sessions where we were just writing an email about how do you tackle diet culture with your ex and, you know, his wife, you know, the kid's a stepmom. So it's just like, okay, yeah. There no and there is no handbook. None of this is written into the custody agreement. Like there's this all stuff that you're just sort of like figuring out in these murky spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then you have to assume that like you have a therapist who understands these things, which you I'm so lucky my therapist specializes in disordered eating, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, something that she and I tackle a lot and I'm still unpacking in my own life, right? Sure, like, sure. But like, so I'm I'm so lucky she was already like right there with yeah. me. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to write a divorce book was because, you know, I'm going through and I'm looking for books about divorce and they're either like how to, the happy divorce, how to, mm-hmm. and it's just basically like tips on how to manage your ex's emotions. And you're just like, Christ. Uh, <laughs> or the reason we're not married is because I don't want to keep managing those emotions. <laughs> right. Which learning how to stop managing their emotions is like, yeah. you know, is yeah, freeing and difficult, but especially when there are kids involved. Yeah. So th- th- no, there is no manual and they're not talking, you know, you're not talking about it in class in that divorce class, which at the end of the video, we all had to get into little small groups and like talk about, get little scenarios and then Mm. talk about what's the good way to handle the scenario, which, you know, but how can you ever cover all the scenarios you're actually going to encounter? Right. Yeah. And and they focus on on money, you know, I think they're mostly focusing on like money and, you know, yeah, like like the I want to do something this Saturday and it's your day with the kids, that kind of like, right. which are logistical issues, which are not that they're not stressful, but they're not as emotional in the same way as something like how we're feeding the kids or how we're talking about bodies. Like these are things that just trigger such like deep mm. core beliefs and emotions for everybody. Right. Yes. And, and I think something that is really really difficult. And I know, I think I've talked to you about this too, is like you are then trying to help your child unlearn a lot of things that they're learning with your partner while you are also trying to unlearn. I am on a journey and I will always be on a journey, right? I'm trying to help my kid unlearn stuff that I don't even 
fully have unlearned. And it triggers me to remember those moments from my own childhood. But you also can't put that on your kid because they're different. And so it's just like you are just unraveling this whole complicated issue in the moment with somebody who doesn't want to work with you. Ready? Go. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck to you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so much. I do want to quickly say, you and I have talked about this, of course, but I want to say for listeners, like, what your daughter was doing hoarding food, this came up in the piece as well, and I really appreciated the advice from Hillary Knievy, one of the therapists I interviewed, of, like, reframing that as a really smart strategy for a kid in that situation, you know? Yes. Like, really smart coping strategy to get herself fed when the, yes. that wasn't available. And, you know, for anyone parenting through the same kind of dynamic, like, it's so important that we recognize the wisdom of how our kids are responding to these moments and as opposed to immediately going to, like, like of course— we don't want that to be her only coping strategy in life. I think what she was doing was actually brilliant. Yes. And also for listeners of Virginia and I have like a little text thread and it's about our newsletters, but also I'm just asking Virginia for advice <laughs> on parenting. But, you know, I, I remember telling you that and you saying that's so great that she's yes. feeding herself and that helped me to immediately reframe the way I was thinking about it. And another thing I really liked in the piece was a about kids like correcting with the food like I think there was a mother who talked about how her kids might seemed like they binge a little when they come back to her when they come back to her house Mm -hmm. and I noticed those kinds of behaviors at my house and of course you know like that's really stresses me out because I mean you're raised to be like no more chips you know no more candy and just learning how to see that as a positive thing, mm-hmm. as a way of your child getting their needs met. I just walk away and I say, in our house, if you're hungry, you eat. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eat what you're hungry for, trust yourself, trust your body. That helped alleviate a lot of my fears. Because again, this is not something that is really talked about. And so like hearing that it happens in someone else's house immediately makes me think, okay, this is a normal coping mechanism. And I think too, you know, it is obviously not ideal for a kid to be moving from like a restrictive household and then having to respond in that way. It is a stress response and like that's concerning, but it also is a real power of divorce that you have control over what's happening in your house and you can make your house the safe space for food Whereas if you were still in the marriage, those safe spaces would be much harder to find, right? Yes. And I think that that is something I think about a lot because I've got regrets about the person I chose to have children with. And, you know, we all decide, you know, we're going to be better than our parents. We're going to do things. And so I think one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life was being in this marriage and realizing I'm not any different. I did the Mm -hmm. exact same thing. Mm -hmm. The only way out is by breaking this all apart and Mm -hmm. relearning life again. But then knowing that some of those same things will now be happening to your kid because like, that's what you chose. 
I can't control what happens in that house. And I think especially, too, for mothers, that's really hard because you're used to controlling every single mm-hmm. aspect. Like, you know where the shoes are. You know where everything is. You know where the milk totally. is and the ketchup totally. is. And then divorce is letting go of that control. And it's really scary because you're like, God, are they even going to get fed? And what are they going to get fed? And how? But it also helps you build something better. And so I just have to focus on in my house. I can create a space where we can talk about these issues without fear, where we're not managing other people's emotions, where I can have a candy bowl on the, you know, kitchen counter and just let them have access to that and say, you know, yes, snacks are snacks, candy's candy, food's food, you know, just feed yourself, feed your body and destigmatize a lot of the food, you know, something my ex would do and does is, you know, like you have to eat so many bites of so many things. Mm-hmm. It just makes dinner time miserable. Yes. Yes. You know, especially like my son is the most stubborn. Per- He's just the sweet little boy. But like, and everything's easy going until the moment you can see his little like jaw kind of like mm-hmm. click into place. And then you're like, you can't move him. He yeah. will not. And, you know, <laughs> he will die on this mountain forever. Good luck and, to you. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes the mountain is his foot is on the table. And you say, <laughs> hey, buddy, could you get your foot off the table? And then you'll look under the table and he's got his foot up touching the top of the table because he is not going to let you win and so like you can imagine (laughs) that energy let's not count broccoli bites right with one more bite of broccoli which when he was a toddler and he moved to solids he dropped off the weight scale for a little while which was very scary for me and we had to like get him monitored because they were like does he have a healthy home which of course is like oh my god I am a terrible (sighs) parent great you know yeah Yeah. and I did have to unlearn something though because the the I remember the doctor being like well what protein will he eat and I was like go-gurts but they're so full of sugar I don't like to feed them I know I'm terrible and she looked at me no no I had the same thing yeah yeah (laughs) and I've been going to this doctor for uh gosh 17 years now so, you know, we know each other and it's a small town, so we know each other. But she's just like, Liz, like if he's eating it, feed him. Feed like, him the go <laughs> Yeah, yes. feed him yes. the go And so, yes. So, right. Like making dinner time a place that is not stressful is, is just so nice. Yes. And I'm so glad you can do that for them. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yay, divorce. Yay, cooking complicated recipes that make you happy. Or not yes. cooking because that also makes you happy. Oh, you my know? God. Eating cheese over the sink for oh, dinner. Oh, amazing. Great. I love amazing. that for me. Oh, my God. I love this. All right. So what is your better for us? My recommendation is not going to be super deep. We love a not deep recommendation. But when I saw that question, I immediately thought that the thing I recommend right now is Wednesday Adams, the TV show <gasps> on Netflix. Yeah. It's so good. I'm watching it with my 11-year-old daughter. I love it. She loves it. It's so fun. It's so smart. It's so interesting. I love it. The mother-daughter relationship is great. Oh, I can't wait. Would you think um, my nine-year-old can watch it? Will she be into it? It's so scary. So, 
My nine-year-old is kind of a weenie beanie, and my kids got scared by the horse entangled. My, that was my a ki- very large horse in their defense. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, but like what I'm trying to say is like my kids' threshold for right. scary things is very low, and I know other people's kids are like much higher. So it is too intense for my nine-year-old, but my eleven-year-old. loves it but I think if I had been nine I totally or if I was nine I'd be totally into it she's really into the Lemony Snicket show which we've been watching and that is quite dark if she can do Lemony Snicket she can do Wednesday it's also really funny like the humor is like very very hilarious and smart and interesting and so yes absolutely if she can do Lemony Snicket this should be fine because at least this has a happy ending true True. I remember watching Lemony Snicket with my daughter and getting to the end and her being like, there has to be another episode. No. And I was like, no, honey, sometimes no. life is just bad like that. And then I was like, oh, my God, you're the worst parent ever. But like, yes. also, suck it up. All right. Well, my recommendation is a game that my kids and Dan and I have all been really into called Ransom Note. Have you ever played this? No. Thank you. And your kids would like it too, Liz. So, it's, you know, magnetic poetry, the little like word tiles. So it's basically a box full of the word tiles and then everyone gets their own little board and you draw a question and it's like a prompt. Like it's like something like, like the reason it's ransom note is it could be like write a ransom note for kidnapping someone or it's like, you know, write a parking ticket for I don't, like very absurd, funny scenarios. And then you have however much time to like play with all your magnetic poetry words and write your own little sentences and then you just judge who's as funniest and that's the whole game so we really love it our nine-year-old is like weirdly great at it she's very funny and often wins the rounds also we're just like (laughs) judging each other which is a fun family activity um, to rate and even my five-year-old like she'll play on a team with me because she can you know she's like half reading like she can pick Mm -hmm. out like high frequency words or we just let her pick random words and then it's Mm -hmm. funny to see what she comes up with anyway it's like so fun. It's low stakes because it's not really like, I mean, I guess you could play it in a more competitive way, but we just like make up the word things. Um, it is marketed for ages 17 and up. So if you care, you can edit the <laughs> cards and the words a little bit because there's some oh, vulgarity. Yeah. But, you know, my nine-year-old did a great job with a sentence involving genitals the other day. <laughs> so. You know what? I love those games, especially now as they're getting older. We played one on my sister's Switch, which I don't remember what it was called, but it was something a little similar where you had to like, they'd come up with scenarios and you had to like invent a solution to the problem. And the scenario was like, how do you make a fish be modest? My daughter's solution was was to convert the fish to Christianity. <laughs> and I mean, like, she's obviously joking and like, but I was just like, you're twisted. You're yeah. twisted. Your mind yeah. is twisted. It's just yeah. like, it's so rewarding as a parent because you're like, oh, thank God you have a personality. Well, and like as writer parents too, like, of yes. course, you're like so proud when they come up with some like clever little word combination. I was like, oh, I think this might actually be an educational game, but we will not think of it that way. It's like, it's a very yeah. cards of humanity kind of vibe. But you can play it with your kids because, like, the skills translate. Well, we love games, so we will be picking this one up. Liz, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. I am very excited for everyone to read your book, even though I know it's not out for a while. But 
people stay tuned for that. Yes. Tell folks where they can follow you and support your work. I also have a newsletter. An it's, amazing newsletter. It's called Men Yell at Me, but it's Liz, L-Y-Z dot And you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter, but I guess the internet's dying. <laughs> uh, Maybe not by the time you hear this. Yeah, we're, we're in an internet extinction event, I guess. But I'll be there tweeting along until I get hit by a meteor. So, yep. um, And I'm at L-Y-Z-L over there. And those, I think, are two of the best places to Perfect. to find me unless you're in Iowa then <laughs> then you know how to find me because you live here <laughs> awesome thank you so much Liz this was All great right. thank you Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. You can also leave us a rating or review we like five stars these will really help folks find the show and help us grow. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram at the underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting anti-diet body liberation journalism. 